And when my son arrived, me and his father were at odds and everybody was like, he looks just like his daddy. And I'm just like, you're on my team. Like, could you say something else right now? Like, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but like, do you think that after I've laid on a table and they've cut him out of me, that's what I want to hear? He looks just like his dad. Well, what, what happened? Like nothing, I get nothing. I do feel like, when, when somebody that, you know, like a colleague or something um, has a baby and everybody's like, oh, do we have a picture? And I almost always want to say, just Google newborn baby. And that's what it will look like. <laughs> Girl, you are still- <laughs> you look the same. Welcome to our podcast, We Heart Mum Jokes. I'm Lalita. I'm a queer mum of a 14-year-old, a single mum by choice, and a comic. And I'm Smita. I'm a mum of two, and I met Lalita doing stand-up. And we decided to start this podcast quite a while ago now because we were wondering, how are other parents managing during the pandemic? Are they finding it as difficult as we do? So we decided to ask some people that we really like talking to other comics. And as always, if you are looking for serious parenting advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Definitely. Go away. Go away. (laughs) Step away from your earphones. Okay, so today I'm so excited to introduce our guest. Her name is Dana Keel. She's a comic based in Los Angeles. She's also a chess coach, which is a very hot and interesting topic. We're going to discuss that in a little bit. She's also an actor. So we're going to start the episode as we always do with a clip from her stand-up. Now, this one might sound a little bit different today because it's not a live show from before the pandemic, but it's a clip from a Zoom show. So take it away, Dana. I think, and I can't be the only one, that I've gained the quarantine 15, all the eating, like all the eating, right, right, right. Okay, so maybe it's just me. Quarantine 15, quarantine 20, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. Okay. Well, because I'm down, I'm like, because I'm up to four food groups, and I found a fifth. My four food groups are cookies, ice cream, sugar, and desserts. Like that's all it is over here. And I read this article, right, right. Like I read this article, and it said avocado, chia seeds, coconuts, coconut oil. I'm sorry, foods that fight fat. And I'm like, but are y'all winning? <laughs> are y'all are y'all winning the fight against fat? That's what I need to know. Welcome to our podcast, Dana. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Like, okay, I gotta say this, Lolita. We're both single moms of boys, correct? And I don't know if you're having this feeling. I have parented out of a minivan. I rode in a minivan recently and it is a smooth like Cadillac type ride. And I totally like, I only had one kid. I've never needed a minivan and now he's 18. So I feel like, you know, people say they've aged out of certain things. I feel like I've parented out of, I'll never have a minivan. And I'm actually sad about it that I obviously did not have more children and get a minivan um, when I had the chance. Cause now- the, that- we, the We Heart Mom Jokes podcast sponsored by Toyota. I like to get- <laughs> I'd like to get Tesla on board. If somebody could sponsor the Tesla, mention the Tesla minivan, I'm sure that'd be more productive. Uh, I gotta say, Dana, I've never heard of anyone want a minivan before. Right. And that seems like the strangest reason to have more kids, just so you can justify a minivan. I think 
when you go and buy a minivan, they don't check your credentials. I think if you really wanted to, Dana, you could go. <laughs> no, they're like, ma'am, please show me all your children. <laughs> I, because they because of that minivan shortage, they may, you're right. I, I you know I just but I will I will give the minivan back to the room for the people who really need them. I you know like people get excited about the Teslas where the doors kind of fly open like butterfly wings. Or something. I'm like forget that. I want the sliding doors of the minivan. You know you just sit down and the doors just click into place. It's beautiful. But I kind of agree with you. Like these automatic sliding doors, there's just a lot of features, and you know I just never thought hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> This is the most I've thought about a minivan. Although, you know, once I had a colleague and um, I was like, oh, your minivan is very nice. And she got really annoyed at me. She was like, it's an SUV. She was like very insulted that I called her car a minivan. If somebody called my car a minivan, I'd be upset. But I did, I, I did just so that, you know, my, our queer audience is not switching off right now. I did have a Subaru, okay, people, 10 years I had a Subaru. So don't be all like, oh, I thought she was a lesbian. Uh, <laughs> totally had a Subaru. And the mm -hmm. reason I bought the Nissan Rogue is because it's a beautiful color. I bought my car for the color and I'm not even embarrassed about it. Because if you'd see my car, you, everybody who's seen my car is like, oh yeah, yeah. It is a nice color, I've seen it. There you go. What color is it? It's like, like a burnt orange. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Very I was nice. going to say burnt orange. I wasn't going to say orange. I was. I wanted to say burnt orange. I feel orange like like the soccer shirts of my of my soccer team. That the shirts of my soccer team, the Netherlands. That's not a good color for a car. It's a great color for a soccer team. It'd be nice if they won once in a while. But hey. Mm -hmm. Burnt orange, yeah. Are we off topic? I kind of we like are. that we're talking about car. We've become car talk. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's my dream to become car. You can ask Lalita. Literally, when we set up this podcast, I was like, I want us to be like car talk. And now we've become car talk. <laughs> I, I am a genie and your wishes have come true. So but that means I just wanted to check with you guys. If both of you have older kids, for you all, loading your children into the car is not a full body workout where you have to like <laughs> Girl, bring them down. <laughs> But it was like for all the years that it was, it was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Like, mm -hmm. and here's the thing, like just, it was, I agree with you. It definitely was, it's not anymore. Thank goodness. And I was grateful for the day that we went, you know, you go from like the carrier to the car seat to mm -hmm. the booster. And then finally the day comes and they can just sit on the seat. Like when he was, once he was able to sit in the front seat, he just never did. And I'm always like, I'm not the Uber driver. Come sit in the front, you know, like it's not I, happening. I had yeah. to fight him. We took it. We did a road trip. We drove to San Francisco last mm. year for a wedding. And I was like, listen, I don't say much, but you're <laughs> going to have to sit in the front because there's no way I'm going to be able to stay awake. Like if you fall asleep in the front, I'm actually okay with that, but you've got to be in the front seat. Like I, and that, that was me putting my foot down and he was 17, but like <laughs> pretty much he doesn't, he's not a big on that front. Like I have to, we have to, I have to make a big deal out of it. And I don't know. But it's so weird because when I remember being little, but we were always fighting over that passenger mm -hmm. seat that like on long trips, we take turns and stuff. Right. Yeah. That's like it's a prize position. Yeah. Right. Able to, yeah. Maybe cause it's like back then you had, you got control over the radio. If you got to sit mm -hmm. up front. Mm -hmm. <laughs> This is probably really far away for you, Smitha. You probably don't even want to think about it. But um, I'm getting to the stage where I have to start thinking about my son driving. And I, I just want to move back to the Netherlands, like immediately, or any country where they don't let children behind the wheel. I think that's most of Europe. Dana, how did you cope with that? Um, he's not driving yet. And it's not. Oh, there you go. 
and I and I think and here's the thing I like you know without um without the 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 heaviness or the burden of what it means to be black in this country there's mm-hmm. that shit like just you can't it's, yeah as a as a black woman you can't you can't stop the thoughts um although mm-hmm. I would admit at this point I'm interested in teaching him to drive I'm not necessarily interested in him driving or having a car yet I'm not I have no issue with the fact that he doesn't know how. That he's not asking, I, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm proud, but I'm okay with it. Like you can't, you can't make, you can't like try to convince me he should be driving. He's a man. Like whatever. Yeah. Hear you. Yeah. On on a slight tangent, this conversation reminds me of a bit I do on stage about how sometimes when I'm stuck in traffic, I play a game I call interracial family or Uber. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Like <laughs> what are you like? So and so. What is it? How do you how do you know like whether you won or whether you're right? Or you just just kind of like just, no, like you know, I, I, it started out because I would look over at other cars and I'd be like, huh, do you think they're a couple or just a very chatty Uber situation? Like <laughs> right, <you know? laughs> right, right. That's fun. That's absolutely fun. Like I, and yeah. I play that. Like I taught uh, in school for years, and it's not the same, but it's similar. Like yeah, growing yeah. up, I have a twin sister, so growing up, people always said that my sister and I looked just like my mom. And when my son arrived, me and his father were at odds and everybody was like, he looks just like his daddy. And I'm just like, you're on my team. Like, could you say something else right now? Like, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but like, do you think that after I've laid on a table and they've cut him out of me, that's what I want to hear? He looks just like his dad. Well, what, what happened? Like, nothing i get nothing so very much to your game i would i would try to figure out well how did they get together and have children yeah. like are they you know are, are they married like you know how did they are they just a couple or do they just have a baby like whatever it was it was just a thing so that would be my game as a teacher like how y'all get together how he's with her like how okay you know that was that would just be kind of like mm. mm-hmm. Well, when my kids were born, um, my husband saw how hurt I would feel, you know, because people would say, oh, they look a lot like their dad. And so we kind of arrived at the conclusion that the only thing you should say is, what a perfect mix of the both of you. I agree. I agree. Well, Lalita, you probably have commentary on this because that's very sort of hetero, biological, children normative. Yeah, but I mean, there's, you know, I mean, babies aren't enculturated yet, right? I mean, they just pop out and then mm-hmm. they look how they look. I do feel like when when somebody that, you know, like a colleague or something um, has a baby and everybody's like, oh, do we have a picture? And I almost always want to say, just Google newborn baby. And that's what <laughs> it will look like. <laughs> Girl, first. You look the same. And also... They're never pretty. And then you look at it and it's going to have like a little, you know, bunny hat. And then you go, oh, that's so cute. But what's cute is the hat, not the baby. I mean, let's just be really clear on that. <laughs> yes. Girl, so I disagree with you, Alita. My baby was cute. My newborn baby did not. They look- all look the same apart from Dana's baby. <laughs> right, 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 right. So it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. things that before I had children, I hadn't, I just hadn't noticed, but yeah, just, you know, things change over time. But yeah, for Mm -hmm. us as twins, we still to so many people, I mean, well, now we're, you know, we're women of a certain age, but. (laughs) (laughs) What age is that? 19? 
It's, um, you know, I, li- I like to say, you know, I'm, I'm no longer 20. Of course, I'm no longer 30 either. In fact, I'm not even no longer 40. But I just like to say, I'm no, that remains true, right? I'm the wrong side of 20. Amen. I just say I've had a lot of birthdays. That's, yeah. I, I mean, that. I'll be turning 40 next year. Oh, oh wait, no, party. no, no, no. I'm this turning, year. This I'm year. Turning this year. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're oh. in 2021, people. We're so, in 2021. I might be editing the... <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You want to swear this is your moment because this bit's going to be edited out. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to ask, Dana, if you were born a day after Christmas, which you just mentioned, um, but we edited it out, um, did you always get like one present for both? Yes, pretty much. Oh, yeah. or either brutal. or either or either we would get we would have to choose either we'd get a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. Oh so I had a friend in school uh, in high school who, whose birthday was also the twenty sixth mm. of December. Yeah, uh, and she started doing it back to people like their birthday was in July, and she gave them some crappy gift and said, "This is also for Christmas." Well and, done. Yeah, I know, and I was very good, very good action. I felt touche, very yeah, nice. right. Well done. So here's a little hint for you. We are full. We don't have any parenting advice, but we have other advice. I also wanted to share, Dana, because I know you are an activist and you talk about your activism in your stand-up. Smitha is raising two activists. Do you want to share with us what happened to you in your house, Smitha? Oh, yeah. So we tried to take down the Christmas tree and there was a mutiny. And so my two activists turned up and they took the tinsel and chained themselves to this tree, which is... (laughs) which is like a $20 plug-in affair from Target anyway. But so then, you know, we had to pardon the tree and send it back up to its place and plug it back in. Girl, they felt a way about it. They felt a way about it. They did. (laughs) And they stood for it. They were like, oh, I love that. It starts early. And mm-hmm. whatever you have done, mom, intentional or unintentional, you are raising them right. Yeah, and I'm proud of I'm proud of you, Smitha, for for letting them have their you know moments of of activism. Okay, so what I thought was just not putting away the tree. You guys have elevated it to an act of activism and great parenting. I like your version better. <laughs> and why I seriously believe that because I believe there's a there's a way you deal with it. I like I so wish there were so many things I could do over again. I mean But I, you really in terms of the driving, I mean you you already clarified that you know, as a black parent, you're a parent, but you're also a black parent. There's an, an additional set of things that you have to always consider. And I imagine that in, that plays into it just because you have to keep your kids safe. It does. And it did at a certain point, but there's, I'll say this, and it probably breaks with what a lot of other African-American parents may think when they hear this, what you prepare for, you will get. I want to walk the fine line of not preparing you for a hateful world. I want you to be aware that there may be people who have issues with you that are not founded in anything that makes sense, skin color, but I don't want to teach you that you're walking out into a world that hates you. I don't want to prepare you for trauma by traumatizing you. Does that make sense? Because there is power and vibrations by any and every name, God, whatever that are in you. And you will be led when to turn this corner and when not to go this way. But I have to have raised you in a way that you can tap into that, if that makes any sense. Because again, I'm not trying to in any way diminish the experience of my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, any of what has gone on in this country. But I want to, but I believe we have an opportunity to cultivate a way to step into the world with confidence, with peace, that's um, I, I try and 
teach my son about what I call karma, which is perhaps a somewhat oversimplified version of uh, of um, much more complicated philosophies. But that, you know, like what comes around, what goes around comes around kind of thing. Uh, and I did that from when he was very young. Like if, you know, like there are consequences, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more, it's on a slightly larger scale. Um, but he, of course, did with that what children do. He made it his own. Uh, and so he once we were at a friend's house and by mistake, my son stepped on the dog. It was a little dog. It looked like a, like a little cushion and mm. he kind of fell over it uh, and the dog bit him. Uh, and it was big drama and a lot of screaming and everything. But then a, a week later, completely unrelated, the dog passed away. Uh, and to this day, my son thinks it was the dog's karma for biting him. And I feel that was not. <laughs> that wasn't the lesson you were trying to teach. But you know, I mean, but as parents, this is where we get to step in and say, hey, that makes sense. But we are not here to 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 celebrate death. Like, I mean, right? like, like, just <laughs> yeah. the way, like, that's what you're trying to always do. Like, as a chess teacher, I'm not necessarily here to make kids into grandmasters because I'm not. There is a way that you can see the world and there's a way that you can map out what you're doing. I still have to give you the space to understand it as you understand it. And then, you know, re-steer you where the part, if there's a place in your understanding that does not serve you, then I'm here to hear that and then shift you but I have to give you space to understand it however you're going to understand it. You know what I'm saying? And then... Tell us about teaching chess. Are you doing this on Zoom right now? Do you teach one-on-one? And how old are the kids you teach? All of this is utterly fascinating. Um, So I'm teaching on Zoom. Ultimately, what I began to see is that it it is a spiritual journey more than it is anything else. I just began to see that this could be a way to like crack open and unlock confidence and watching these kids respond in these ways to this game. And because they didn't have all the baggage of rich people do this game or white people, you know, because we were teaching, you know, communities of color was just in this very straight ahead way because I've taught as young as four and understand when you're teaching a four or a five-year-old, you're not teaching them to play a game from setup to checkmate, but what are the names of the pieces? How do they move? You can mine a lot of space educationally mm. out of a chessboard. With my son who eventually like just, he's an art guy. Let me just say that. And he, I feel like when chess became my full-time job, that's when he kind of dumped chess. Typical. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, right. He was shaping into a decent player, but chess is like a lot of things. If you don't keep playing, you know, it becomes, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a muscle you have to keep conditioned. Um, but A bit like comedy. A bit like comedy, right. a bit like comedy, very much. We could have these much larger conversations through the chessboard and about these other areas. And so it just became like all of those things as a way ultimately to build confidence, to really unlock confidence in girls and boys. And because I have had the blessing of teaching all cultures of children, white, brown, like everything, it's just good for all children of every age. So many follow-up questions. So I was curious when you said, you know, it's like a spiritual practice as well, chess, like Mm -hmm. what did you mean? Like, how is it spiritual for you? Because for me, because when you're, when I play chess, I have to drop all the way in. Like I cannot be, the focus has to be laser. It's happening as you do it. So it's like, um, so when you're playing, and it's one thing I teach children, repeat after me, the board changes every time someone moves. 
They, they get fixed on. I mean, and I think all of us in regular life, I get fixed on what I want to do without noticing that the whole landscape has changed. That if you are struggling to stay centered and grounded so that when things hit you in everyday life, that when you're dropped in and you're really focused, there's a lot you can accomplish. You know what I'm saying? I feel that all the, all the people that just had maskless New Year's Eve parties need to play chess. It's like people, the board changed. And even though that you thought that's how you wanted to yes. celebrate New Year's Eve, that was not the way that the board changed big time. Big time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so that's so that, you know, and it's, it's, so that's what I mean, like spiritual. I just feel like it's a way I'll say to a child or a student rather, well, why did you do that? Well, I don't know. I was like, there are no wasted moves in this game. Mm. So when you get up and brush your teeth every day, do you know why you do that? Well, of course. I said, well, tell me why. Because my teeth clean. I was like, okay. So when you made that move, you have to know why. If you don't know why you're making a move, don't make it. Oh God, I needed this pep talk. And I think if you, if you don't know why, don't make it. Because, it, you know, and even if it's, and it doesn't have to necessarily be deep dive, but like, if you know that you have somewhere you're trying to go and this move will serve where you're trying to go, then that's good enough. But you have to have a why. So not to beat a dead horse too much, but I have to bring it back. Like so many things that you're saying here remind me of stand-up comedy, like yeah. being present, adjusting to what's happening in real time. Like, do you find yourself bringing this kind of presence into stand-up? Like Bobby Oliver always says, stand-up is a conversation. You have to you know, embrace the pause, which is where the audience gets to speak. You have to perform in such a way that it is a conversation. It's not, it's not a monologue. You're not just there doing your own thing. You're trying to engage with the audience. So I feel there's a parallel there with knowing why you make your move. I have to say though, I'm a very defensive chess player. All I do is avoid going checkmate. That's all, I, I'm not looking to win or anything like that. I just don't want to die. That's <laughs> Girl, okay, so like y'all got me spinning. I play that way too. Like even though I teach, playing from you know the base of our brain, we're all doing everything from the amygdala, right? We're doing everything from fight, flight, whatever, freeze, all those, those things that we talk about. And generally when you're playing chess, even though I know it's just a game, you feel threatened. And when yeah. you feel threatened, because somehow there is, for whatever reason, just like all of us get a very early concept of winning and losing. Mm. Like wherever the hell we get it from, we get it, we give it to our children because children know quickly they don't want to lose. Mm. They don't even, and for us as grownups, we're pretty much the same way. We, I don't even know where that really came from. So when you sit down to a chess game, the idea that you could lose is very present. And for whatever reason, it is more magnified than the idea that you could win. But I still, but you know, whether it's ego, like, but I tell people like, I don't take candy from babies, but when I, you know, <laughs> in terms of chess, but like when, when I'm playing some of my little boys who are like 10 and 11, I'm playing to win too. And in that space, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm in that board because I don't want to lose to you either. Like, <laughs> because it could happen. I've, I have lost to 11 year old. Like you're saying, like nobody wants to lose. So. I was in a conversation the other night where someone said that if you want to be a great comedian, you should learn how to play chess. But it is true. Interesting. Because you're there. You want to win. Winning is getting the laughs. I think the biggest parallel I have in off the top is like callbacks. It feels like you've won. A good callback feels like a checkmate. This is all new feelings for me, you guys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it feels like a checkmate because if, if you nail it, like it's special. 
there should not be anything else going on for you than what is happening on the board. And wow, how true for comedy. There, in that moment, there should be nothing going on for us except like what we're listening to, which is the other comics and whatever we've prepared that we wanna, you know, we wanna offer up when we get our chance to come to the stage. And so, yeah, that's a great, I've never pondered it for myself, but that is so true, I agree. So have you guys watched the Queen's Gambit? I have to ask with all this chess. I watched like probably the first hour of the first episode, but I'm just gonna say this, I love it. And it's sometimes hard when you teach something to then watch it. I think the fact that a girl is the lead character is, Yes, is everything is is. everything, you know, is it is although people were saying it's I I saw like memes where they were like, she supposedly hits rock bottom at some points and she still looks perfect. Her hair is perfectly in place. And you know, her outfit, like her rock bottom outfits are still super hot. It's like, is this (laughs) what, you know, media's assumption of rock bottom is for women? Right, but it's it's a movie after all. And at a True. point, like, how much are we gonna fight about this? Yeah. I mean, I think he was a bit, yeah, Sorry. I mean, Bobby Fisher went to some dark places and you know, in his in his in his real life, and nobody was checking because yeah. he, you know, they, he was said to have lost his mind, you know, whatever was happening. Um, so that stuff's not attractive. They can people have those criticisms, but whatever. Yeah. This yeah. is the movie with a, a chess girl. So we're just yeah. I, I knew a lady, this was um when Shakespeare in Love won its Oscar. So this is going back like mm-hmm. the late 90s, I'm guessing. 97, and uh, she was a literature scholar and her objection to the movie was that everybody's teeth were so good. And I never lost the image of Gwyneth Paltrow running around with little black stumps, which probably would have been more realistic, <laughs> but I don't think she would have gone for that. It's a, it's a Hollywood movie. Like, no, yeah. they're not going to have realistic teeth. I mean, yeah. actors don't have realistic teeth to begin with. Like. Yeah, true. True. I mean, to quote a few good men, you know what, you can't handle the truth or whatever. Like, Right, right, right. You don't want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Like, and I wouldn't want to see Gwyneth with stumps in her mouth. Like, no, I would not. No. I would not. No, yeah. it was bad enough having to sit through that accent for two hours. It's just, yeah. right. Uh, and I know we don't want to go on a tangent, but in the African-American community, there's a uh, pushback on like Cynthia and Revo, like some of the African or British actors who play American roles in this country. Yeah, and, you know, and how, but to your point, and how gifted they are at swallowing their own accent to then give us this American thing. So. Oh, it's such a complicated topic. Should straight actors play queer persona? It, yeah. Definitely, you know, cis actors, in my view, should not play trans persona. And it's, I think it's all about the marginalization and representation. I feel there's enough, I, I, yeah, it just depends on where the power lies, I think. Mm-hmm. So I am so single at this point that being single is my superpower. Like I have an S on my chest and it just stands for single. (laughs) Like I am so single that stray cats, like when I do go out, they don't even follow me home. They just like, we ain't going with her. Her house is too cluttered and she doesn't sleep at night. We're not going, we're not going. Like I am so single, my dad, who's been married three times, has never asked me, when was I gonna get married? (laughs) Never. Now, on the other hand, he skipped over me, his child, and asked about his grandson. He says to me, and his grandson is 18, he says to me, well, does he have a girlfriend yet? I was like, so let me get this straight. 
you skipped a generation to your grandson who is 18, living at home, paying no bills, and you want to know, does he have a girlfriend yet? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he does. He has a girlfriend, and, and they just celebrated. <laughs> they just celebrated one year on Tuesday with a social distance, quarantine safe date um, at the Koreatown Mall. Yeah, your your your, uh, your grandson has a girlfriend. So how's life been during the pandemic for everyone else, right? All right, so a couple of things. Like, so I have a thing that I have been doing on stage, like things that we lost in the pandemic, like in memoriam. So I talk about the fact that we don't wear bras anymore. Yay! That, um, but sleep, sleep died oh, a natural yeah. death. Like, yes, it did. Especially in the beginning, like I've gotten better, but like I am in love with the movement that DJ D-Nice started. He's a well-known DJ in the hip hop, like urban music community first week or whatever of the official quarantine started playing music from his downtown LA apartment and just going live to Instagram. By that Saturday, we had a hundred thousand people tuned in oh, on yeah. Instagram, including Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama, like everybody you could imagine, Joe Biden, everybody checked in and then all of the hip hop and music luminaries. So part yeah. of my loss of sleep was that he would come on at any hour of the night. Like one night I would never forget this like I had fallen asleep and I rolled over at 2 a.m. And because it was my habit to check the phone, I checked the phone and he had just come on at two in the morning playing music. Like and a real club. Like a real club. <laughs> so my, so my, and, and, and oh. snacks going back to food. Cause that's, I think also a part of the, a part of the problem. Yes. Off cycle with eating. Like, yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner also died natural death. Yeah, independent. definitely. We are just snacking. But honestly, the comedy journey has really taught me how much I love food and snacks. I don't know if it's, but um, I'm not a snack demic. Say that again. It's a snack demic. Yes, I, it is a snack. That's what it has been. Sweet to you said it. It's been a snack demic for me. So one last thing we always ask all our guests, Dana, um, is, you know, if there's any advice or words of comfort you have for people as we're all kind of looking at the next wave of lockdown. Okay, I know we're at the end, but can I just share something right quick? Is this a potato chip recommendation? It's not a chip recommendation, but it's a motherhood thing. Like, did yes. You, okay, did you guys know that when you become mothers, you ha your hearing actually improves? Like, I've how heard do it. I, I have some doubts about it. It feels a little patriarchal, but I've heard it. So the reason I share these things is because I have always been able, if I hear like three or four children cry, I can hear whether my child is in that bit bunch or not. Like I can distinguish. Uh, I was gonna say my, my sense of smell and my sense of hearing have not improved, but my eyesight has improved in that way where you can be in one room and you can still be like, <laughs> I saw that. Right, okay, so you got that, you got that, you got that. Here's it. I, um, as, as far as advice, I think, just to, to get rest and take care of yourself. Like, I, even though I'm not going to bed, I'm striving to do whatever it takes to take care of you. I could say meditation or yoga, but every, I, think, I think whatever everybody's self-care is, is going to be unique to them, but be in search of it. If I could give anybody any advice, I do want to give mothers who are, are children of homeschool, like get maps for your children. That's a total sidebar for another day. Mm -hmm. Get maps. <laughs> Like your children, our children should know that something other than TikTok and weaves come out of China. They should yeah. know where China is mm -hmm. on a map. 
but to your I list. like that. I, I think that's a great place to land. Get a map. 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 Get a yes. Map. Love Get that. So Dana, if people want to find out more about your comedy, where can we find you? Instagram, Dana Keel. D-A-N-N-A. Two N's. K-I-E-L. But I do want to shout out my Twitter. DJ. Dana K. I created my Twitter when I had aspirations of being a DJ. And so that's what it is. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In that, or Twitter, in that order. <laughs> I love your pronunciation of Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's very, very good. Very good. Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> you find me on Twitter and, 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 and Insta. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at Lalita D Comedy. D is D W E. Lalita D Comedy um, on insta and me twitter <laughs> okay great and you can find me smitha on twitter at almost favorite and my website is almost favorite.com.